We continue again with the reading of the Passion of our Lord Jesus according to St. John's Gospel. Tonight, beginning at chapter 18, verse 12. Now the detachment of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and had him bound. They first led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had given counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the sake of the people. Now Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And as this disciple was known to the high priest, he entered into the court of the high priest along with Jesus, while Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the maiden who kept the door and brought Peter in. But the maid who kept the door said to Peter, Are you not also one of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together, and I have said nothing in secret. Why are you asking me? Ask those who have heard me, who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. But when he had said this, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken wrongly, then bear solemn witness to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you then strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. But Simon Peter was still standing and warming himself. They said to him, Are you not also one of his disciples? But he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a close relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, then asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? But Peter again denied it, and at once the cock crowed. Here ends the reading of the Passion. Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Second parable we will look at in this, at this season of Lent is again from Matthew chapter 21, beginning verse 33. Jesus said, 
listen to another parable. There was a householder who planted a vineyard. Yes. Planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and then let it out to tenants, then went off to another country. When the season of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. The tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. So again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This man is the heir. Come, let us murder him and take his inheritance. And they did take him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those tenants? The people said to him, he will put those wretched men to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruit in their seasons. Jesus said, have you never read the scriptures? The very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, and this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and be given to a nation that is producing its fruits. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. But when they tried to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Here ends the parable. Dear saints of God in Christ Jesus, notice it says that Jesus told them another parable. This also takes place on the Monday after Palm Sunday. This parable deepens the situation. By the time he finishes this parable to the crowds and to the Jewish officials, it is clear someone is going to die. Someone will die. And someone has to die. There's no getting around this truth that death is the only thing that's going to solve this untenable situation. The parable's quite simple, although a little hard to understand why a king would ever do this. A man went, planted a vineyard. That's a big work and a big expense. He didn't just plant it, he also put a protective wall around it. Not everybody did that. That was to keep the wild animals out of the vineyard. Also dug a wine press. He's expecting to be fruit coming. 
and to press that wine, press it into make wine. He even built a, a tower, a watchtower, to guard and protect this precious vineyard. But apparently he figured as those wine stocks are growing and maturing, there's no sense for him being around. There's not that much to do. He can just let it out for the tenants and they can contain to keep the property and to watch over things. Until the time comes when the grapevines produce, then he's going to come back and he expects to receive a harvest. He made the investment, didn't he? He's protected that vineyard as best he possibly can. It's a picture of God the Father. What he had been doing to his people throughout the Old Testament, from the time of Adam and Eve down to the time now of Jesus' day. Of course, there were troubles. It has to do with the fact that the tenants are crooks. The tenants the rulers of the church that God had set up, the high priest, the priest, the religious teachers, they have gone so far afield from what the owner would want them to be doing. They have a thieving heart. They did not do the work. They never protected God's people from all the dangers around them, but they were sure ready to rake it all in. Of course, remember what Jesus did on Palm Sunday when he went into the temple courts, overturning all the tables of the money changers, letting all the animals go, causing complete and economic downfall. This the tenants could not stand for. And we know from the other accounts that when that happened, they started making some plans, at least tentative, to get rid of this guy. But it may have meant only just to shut him up not allow him to do such things anymore. But he comes in the very, very next day. We heard the parable last week about the two sons, one who obeyed and one who disobeyed arrogantly. This parable is now sent against the leaders of the church, the scribes, the Pharisees, the high priests, the priestly family, all that are supposedly in charge of caring for God's people and feeding them with the good news that the Messiah is going to be coming. All during that time, what did they accomplish, these rogues? We're told that when the season came near for the fruit to bear, then God began sending officially his servants. These are all the prophets these are all the teachers throughout the Old Testament times. How were they treated by ancient Israel? For example, think of Jeremiah. There are plans to kill these servants of God. No one ever appreciated them, so much so that when God wanted Jeremiah to be a prophet, if you read carefully, he never agreed because he knew what a lousy job it would be. You could get yourself killed by being a prophet. These fellows took the servants, beat, it means to bring to a trauma, 
that unless the man gets help, he's going to die. They almost killed him by the beating. Did, in fact, kill another one. And the third example is they stoned another one to death as though he was the lawbreaker. This is what the leaders of the Old Testament church were busy doing. As Luther says, to try to keep the gospel of the promise of the Son of God from God's own people. The works of these servants is nothing but murder. Notice that God the Father didn't quit. He again sent other servants, even more than the first, but the same thing happened. God keeps sending, and the leaders of the Old Testament keep killing, murdering, stoning, to quiet and stop the good news of the Messiah. When it says that he sends his son, that is, of course, talking about Jesus. He sends him very quietly in a stable, born of Mary at Christmas. For most of Jesus' life, he wasn't anything more than a carpenter. But beginning with his baptism, then God the Father points him out as being the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And it is at that point when all hell breaks loose, quite literally. Satan attacks him in the wilderness, and almost immediately the Jewish leaders start attacking Jesus. The first miracle that, he's, that we are told about in the Gospel of Mark, the full, first, first full story, is the man who is let down through the roof. Remember that? And Jesus says, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. This is what the Son has come to do, to announce the forgiveness of sins. But if you remember the reaction of the Jewish leaders, they grumbled at each other and about what was being said. Who does this man think he is? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who does this guy think he is? Well, Jesus thinks he's God, and he's correct. But the announcement of the forgiveness of sins, spoken by God's own Son, is the beginning of this time of Jesus' passion. It isn't just during Holy Week, all during his ministry. They are out to get him. And some of you are saying, I'm glad I don't have that job. But yes, you do. Jesus said, go, therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things whatsoever I have told to you. You can avoid the prophet's death very simply. Just shut up. Don't say a thing about your faith. Don't express it in any way. Just blend into the woodwork so that no one knows you're a Christian. Be silent about the gospel, which means everything and gives life. But if you do that, you are dead. You are spiritually dead already. That cannot happen. The son cannot be quiet either. He comes the Father thinks that they will show respect and honor to the Son as the one who is the fulfillment of everything, that now the kingdom should be coming to its fullness. But the minute they see the Son, they say, this is the one who is to inherit all things. Come 
an exhortation to each other, let us murder him and have his inheritance. The events that are going to take place finally at the end of Holy Week are a fulfillment of this. They had earlier had plans to do something about him, but now it comes down to the fact that he has to be not merely silenced, but put to death so that they can forever then take this kingdom, God's own people, to make it all their own, to serve them according to their notions of God's kingdom. And Luther warns in his day that's exactly what the church had done in the 1500s. The Babylonian captivity of the church, he said, that the church is bound to listen only to those that speak of salvation by works, by merit, by goodness. And if that's the case, there's no reason to even have a Savior if you can save yourselves. So we're simply told they listened to either other's words, they threw them out of the vineyard. That's a technical term for being thrown out of a synagogue. They had, in fact, in their own mind, excommunicated him, this Jesus who says he's the Son of God, whom they will later ask, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And when he says, yes, it is as you say, what does the high priest do? This is the symbol of terrible excommunication. He tears his very fancy robe and says, it's blasphemy. That means Jesus is excommunicated. As far as they think, they have the authority now to send this man to eternal judgment, as well the authority to have him stoned to death. But they themselves won't go that far. So, therefore, when the owner of this vineyard comes, asked Jesus to the crowd, what will he do to those tenants? Now that's the question he asked the crowds in his day and us. Isn't it a pretty easy answer? Is there any question about who really should die? Who's guilty of getting false witnesses at Jesus' so-called trial before the Sanhedrin? Who puts them all up to lie about Christ? Perjury was punishable by death. And if you were part of that, death to you as well. So what should happen to these fellows? We can with great happiness say with the people, he will put those wretched men to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in the season. Who's supposed to die? The Jewish leaders. Who must die? It's the Son of God. Because even though they will put him to death, he will overcome that. And he'll speak about that also during Holy Week. He will be victorious because he is the stone that the builders, the leaders, had tested and rejected. And yet God, by his doing, makes Jesus the head of the corner or the cornerstone. God's doing it, and it is wondrous, marvelous in our eyes 
but we'll only see that when we come to Easter. The chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parable, and they clearly perceived that he was then speaking about or literally against them. From this point on, they have to get rid of him. There's no matter of quieting him. They have to kill him. Jesus so arranges that by this parable that they will make sure that he is indeed put to death and the scriptures are fulfilled. But they don't understand the end of the story. Jesus has to die. He must die for the sins of the world and then rise again. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.